Hi there, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb. This episode is brought to you by the Review Planner. Our performance review planner just got promoted with six brand new and bossed up planner sections to help guide you towards a promotion with confidence. So if you've ever felt like you've been outworking others but not being recognized, like you've been offended, outraged, or disappointed during at least one performance review, like you just are not being seen and recognized for the work that you do at work, then this planner is for you. If you do not already have a performance review planner, head on over to choosealadder.com and get your planner today. In today's episode, you meet Elizabeth Campbell. Elizabeth is a 20 plus year marketing veteran with a proven track record of successfully cultivating consumer insight to deliver integrated marketing programs that drive consumer demand. In September, 2019, she was chosen to lead McDonald's cultural engagement team into its next evolution. Her responsibilities include managing a $30 million budget to elevate McDonald's cultural strategy in the areas of music, sports and entertainment, amplifying McDonald's social media presence, and driving forward their multicultural youth marketing strategy. Elizabeth uses her cultural curiosity and her ability to partner with McDonald's franchisees to build cultural brand experiences that touch the consumer's passion points. Elizabeth has led some of the brand's most iconic platforms to advance the brand with consumers, including McDelivery with Uber Eats, Dorado with Jay Blavin, The Sweetie Meal, The Mariah Carey Meal, Future 22 Black and Positively Golden, and the brand's most recent steps into the metaverse through a partnership with Umberto Leon and IWG to celebrate Lunar New Year. Prior to joining McDonald's, Elizabeth honed her business acumen at Kraft Foods New York in brand management and as an account executive with the Coca-Cola USA Fountain Division of the Coca-Cola Company. Elizabeth holds a Bachelor of Science degree in business management from the Purdue University Cranert School of Business and a Master of Business Administration from the Clark Atlantic University School of Business. She currently resides in Chicago, Illinois and is a native of Benton Harbor, Michigan. I had such a great time um, learning from Elizabeth. And as you can hear in our conversation, we really went there. There's a point where she says, oh, you really going in in this conversation today. But I love how reflective and honest she was about her journey and reinventing herself, being at a company for you know longer than most people currently are. I think she was at McDonald's for 17 years um, when we had this uh, particular conversation. But there are a lot of gems dropped. So... As always, grab your I Choose the Ladder notebook, a pen, and your favorite beverage, and get ready to get to work. Elizabeth, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today. I am really excited about this conversation. You saw me fangirl not too long ago about having you, so thank you for joining me. I am excited to be here. I have been watching you for a while. I love the work that you're doing, so excited to be here and be a guest on your show. Um, so typically, we start with... Uh, you know, your first job in corporate, but with you, I actually want to take a step a little further out. Um, when people hear your title, you know, you are the senior director of marketing and cultural engagement at McDonald's. Like that sounds amazing. Nobody really knows what it is that you do. So if you had to explain to someone who maybe wasn't in the industry or is not, you know, familiar with the titles and how McDonald's work, how would you explain what it is that you do every day? 
it's funny that you asked this question because my family is like, oh, you just work at McDonald's on 79th Street. It is okay, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yep, I do. That's a good job too. Um, but really, um, as a senior director of cultural engagement, um, what I'm responsible for is shaping the way consumers engage with McDonald's and what that breaks down into. And it also incorporates how our voice comes to life. So what that includes is our social media content, which is really about our voice, which has changed over, tremendously over the past two years. And it's all about the team who, who's working for me that's leading that to say, we really wanna come from the voice of a fan. But then I also get to dabble in the areas in terms of where we show up and how we show up. And so that's more of our brand partnerships in terms of where we're showing up. So the McDonald's All-American game or the work that you've seen within Bubba Wallace recently. Um, and then how we show up is more about looking at some of the work that we've done behind some of our fan troops um, in terms of our brand relevance work where we did the Sweetie Meal or the Mariah Carey Meal. I have the opportunity to cultivate those from a creative content perspective, but also a go-to-market. But a large basis of my job also includes multicultural marketing, which most people are have heard of and are aware of. Um, and I manage a team that is responsible for looking at the way that we engage with consumers based on who their identity is. Um, who they want to be and how they want to engage with McDonald's. So whether you're African-American, Asian, Hispanic, LGBTQ+, that is my job to figure out how we engage with you in an authentic way and welcome you into the McDonald's brand. Um, so uh, something that I just thought about when you talk about social media and the diversity of the McDonald's consumers and how you and your team relate to them, how do you think about your responsibility in, or do you think about your responsibility in making sure that the teams who are representing these voices are also reflective of the voices that they represent as it pertains to maybe like the diversity of your team, how you put together your team, how you um, decide which voices to amplify and those types of things. Yep. So each one of the groups that I just mentioned, there are about four different pillars that report to me and four different teams. And what I'm proud to say is within all of them, there is diversity across all of them. The gentleman who actually leads our social media team who reports to me, he has been with McDonald's for 10 years. He is from France. And he has come in and adapted in the past years to the U.S. culture and really understood it. I sent him out to a restaurant in Indiana so he could understand who the consumer was and what they were, how they moved and how they, you know, kind of flowed. And that allowed him to really understand the voice of the McDonald's consumer, um, but also just the voice of an everyday consumer there is. When you look across the rest of my team, there is a tremendous amount of diversity. Um, the brand partnerships team is actually led by all women, you know, two black women who are out there having conversations with the CEO of NASCAR or out there having conversations with Adidas about how we show up and what we do and how we partner together. And then when you look at the multicultural team and look across them, again, women of all diverse backgrounds but also women who represent their own diversity. Um, you know, whether it is a Latino woman who's on the team or an African-American woman, or um, there's someone who has of Asian descent who is on the team. And we just try to all learn from each other and appreciate each other. Um, and as a fact, uh, one of the things that we do once a month or, you know, when the spirit moves us is that we'll ping each other with like, here's the music that I'm listening today that gets me hyped up. So you get to learn about people um, and, and the way that they express music, but then it also allows us to learn something different about them that can carry over into the work that we're doing because we're reflective of the consumers who are coming into our restaurants. Yeah, that was going to be my question. Like, why does that matter, right? Because I think a lot of times when we think about, you know, how corporations or people may approach diversity, it's a it's what we're supposed to be doing. And so we do it, not necessarily like 
there is a direct connection to the work that we're doing and the output of the work. And so for you, it's particularly with your role in McDonald's where, you know, social media, like black Twitter is quick to be like, wait a minute, yes. uh, a black person did not write <laughs> that. Or like, you know, they'll drag brands, they'll say things are not authentic. And so as you mm-hmm. think about why the ways in which you put your teams together matter, how do you think about that when it, as it pertains to the business and the end result of like what y'all success is being measured on? Yeah, so we've always talked at McDonald's about reflecting the communities that we serve. Like we've always talked about that. And most brands will say that we need to reflect the communities in which we serve. But what we've moved to, and as a marketer, what I'm learning so much about is that we have to reflect that fan's voice. So whoever is a fan of your brand, and if you can't talk to them, if you can't go out to dinner with them and talk to them and understand who they are, how are you going to reflect them in the work that you're doing and pushing out there? So that's why it's important for us. We've got to reflect the consumers who come to us and, and, and the people who are working for us are McDonald's consumers. So we've got to reflect the other people out there in the marketplace as well. Mm. And I know we jumped a bit ahead. So everybody listening, my bad, y'all. And I was just really, really excited. No. But nope. let's- I like your energy. you got good energy. I'm like, okay, girl, let's go get it. <laughs> well, let's go to the beginning, right? And like, I've looked at your resume. I've read up about you. I've studied your LinkedIn. You've worked for some really, um, some really impressive brands over the span of your career. But did you know that corporate was something that you always wanted to do? Or how did you think about your professional life, maybe when you were an undergrad? Oh, my goodness. Um, I actually, in my high school yearbook, wrote that I was going to go into education. Um, I come from a long line of educators, from Wilberforce, from Tuskegee. Um, you know, I, that, that's just the way my family was. Dad went to Alcorn State, and he did education in his first, you know, part of his career. Um, but as I got older, and, um, and I started to say, I want to work in business. Like, I want to be a businesswoman. And no one knows what that means when they're younger, but I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to be a businesswoman. Um, and I it's just something that caught the bug to me. I was curious about how you could um, engage with people and change their minds about things or have conversations with them. And that's what really led me to more of being in a business career. Um, and I also tell, I always tell people that my first job in marketing is when I was trying to convince my dad to buy me a bike. And he was like, well, what are you going to do in order to earn this bike? And I wrote him a business case. I will paint the fence this summer if you give me the money to buy a bike. And he was like, okay. Now he went out on that deal because it took me all summer to paint that bike or <laughs> paint that fence to get that bike. I was a little mad. I was like, he beat me on this one. But yes. <laughs> um, can you think back to like what your first professional like grown-up job was um and what was it a very diverse environment did you know like what it is that you were expected to do in that space wow um so I will tell you what I thought my first grown-up professional job was is when I was in, in I went to Purdue University for undergrad and in between my first and second year I had the opportunity to do a summer intern at Whirlpool which is headquartered in Benton Harbor Michigan where I'm from where I'm from <laughs> and um And my job was to actually work in the customer service area where you would go and you would take the calls all day, figure out what was wrong, what people's issues or concerns were, and then you had to send them to the appropriate people to get help. That was my official first foray into, I would say, um, earning a check and, um, you know, being responsible after, you know, while I was in college. And what I would say is it actually helped me to know what I didn't want. I did not want to sit behind a phone and direct people to different areas. I wanted to be the leader. 
I also wanted something that was more innovative and could allow me to bring my creativity to it. So I was glad that I did that so early in my career because mm-hmm. it allowed me to say what I did not want. Mm-hmm. And it also taught me that you should buy heels that fit your feet and don't be trying to wear those cute <laughs> heels to your first job because I was like, my feet used to hurt every day after work. So just going to tell you that. <laughs> So you mentioned that, you know, you're from a family of educators, right? You may not necessarily have had the the family backing to be like, when you're in corporate America, you do this. And when you're working in this office. So did you think about mentorship and sponsorship at that point? Or like, who helped you figure out how to navigate corporate? Because if you've been working in corporate America for any length of time, you know that there are a lot of unwritten rules. And there are the things that you learn. And then there are the things that you learn, right? And so how did you learn how to navigate um, an environment that was very different than what your family may have experienced? Yes. Um, So a couple of ways that I learned how to um, navigate. Number one, I am the youngest of three children. And there's a significant age difference between me and my, my brothers. And so I always had to be that curious kid the one who would ask questions, who would make friends with anyone just because I was curious. And -hmm. I think that carried over into my corporate life because not having the same sort of business background as everyone else, um, I had to ask questions. I could not be afraid to um, go up and say, hey, can you you help me with this? Or how should I be approaching this? Um, But I wasn't always smooth with it. I'll tell you. I, I, w- I had to learn how to do this. I remember when I was an intern at Kraft Foods, um, after I you know, had gone to undergrad, got my, you know, was getting in the middle of getting my MBA, I was an intern at Kraft Foods, and um, Bridget Heller, who used to be there as an executive, um, I had the opportunity to meet with her. I requested time to meet with this African-American woman who was leading the coffee division. And I walked in there and I was like, hi, Bridget, you know, this is my background, blah, 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 blah. And she said, oh, great to meet you. She's like, so what is it that you want to get out of this intern? And I said, I want to become a great marketer and I want to do such and such and blah, 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 blah. And she started laughing and she goes, honey, you want a job. She's like, what you expect to get out of this intern is that you want a job. She's like, and you need to be very clear and very intentional about what it is that you want from things and learn how to work towards that. And that has always stuck with me. And so that's uh, that's the way that I started to look at mentorship was not about not being afraid to ask someone for help and not being afraid to reach out to people who you may not have um, know or have access to. Mm. And everybody is not going to be your mentor. It could just be something, someone that you're talking to for that moment. But I, I, I believe that mentorship is important, um, but it's also about, I'm going to say, giving as well as receiving. So, mm. so we'll get back. Well, I'm going to circle back to the MBA, but just I have a couple more questions on mentorship. So now you're a senior um, and I'm, uh, I'm sure that there are people who are more junior in their careers who may want you to be a mentor to them or think that they want you to be a mentor to them. So how do you decide who gets your time and who doesn't? My admin says that I do this poorly because I typically give people all of my time. Um, but I try to, I try to keep my door open to anybody who, who is saying that they need someone to help them or want someone to listen to them and wants advice. And then as I am talking to different people, if I feel as though I may not have the best view of being a mentor for them or giving them the attention that they need based on where they want to go, 
I will recommend them to someone else or that I can introduce them to someone else Mm. because I may not be the best fit for them, not from a style perspective, but it could be based upon where you want to go with your career or specific things that you're looking for. If there's someone who is interested, I'm a marketing person. If there's someone who's like, I really want to be um, the head of supply chain at a major company, I will introduce you to someone who can help get you there or coach you through how to do that versus only relying on me. And that's the way that I try to focus on it. Got it. Um, and a, a phrase that comes up a lot because we do talk about mentorship. Um, I think because there's a little bit more control over getting a mentor and sponsorship seems to be this like elusive thing where everyone's like, you know, you need a sponsor. But the yeah. sentiment that I get is, um, I think the quote is black folks are over mentored and under sponsored. And Correct. so if there are people who are thinking right now, like, yeah, I have mentors. What I need is someone with some power who's willing to leverage it on my behalf and sponsor me into more leadership roles. What would you recommend and how they would approach that? Because it might not be the same as how they would go after maybe forming a mentoring relationship. Yes. Um, and so a mentoring relationship, I would say, is really more long term where it's somebody who is going to be give you the tough love. In a sponsorship, you are asking somebody to put their and their um, credibility on the line to help you out. That takes time to build as well, because you typically can't just call up somebody on the phone and say, hey, will you sponsor me for X, Y, and Z? Um, the way that I approach it is, or the way that I would advise you to approach it is to, number one, um, know clearly what it is that you are looking for. So you're just not reaching out to different people. Um, and number two, understand what you can do to help the individual, you know, what, what value are you adding to them in terms of them extending their, their credibility for you? And then three, I would, I wouldn't be afraid to ask, um, but I would be able to tell the story of why you are asking. And even if they say no, understanding, they may say, no, I'm not willing to sponsor you, but I am willing to give you advice or connect you with someone else who can help you. That's okay. Mm-hmm. That is okay. But those are a couple of things that I would, I would consider. And I think the only thing I would add to that is like, what does your total package look like? Right. Because yeah. what people who get helped, unfortunately are the people who make it the easiest to be helped. Right. Yep. And so if you've already, like you have your career story already, this person is just one more piece of the puzzle, as opposed to them having to come and put the entire puzzle together and then present you as a total package for whatever position they're trying to sponsor you into. And so think about how strong of a candidate am I for this person to then just kind of be able to help me over the finish line. I think your mentor is going to do more developing and your sponsor expects you to come ready to play ball. And you have to think about if that's really true for where you are professionally. I would agree with you a thousand percent. A sponsor is not someone that you walk walk to and you say, I just need help. I just don't know where to start. That is not a sponsor. That's, it's um, over at that point. Like the it, conversation it, started and ended with that sentence. It, exactly. Exactly. And if you're not ready for that from a sponsor, don't ask the person to be a sponsor for you. Practice with your mentor. So here's my <laughs> question. And y'all, if you can't say amen as you're listening, say ouch. So there are some times where people think that they're ready and they're not. Right. So how can they identify or what are some key indicators that they might be ready for a sponsor or they may still need to have some time getting prepared for the ask? Um, If you cannot articulate to yourself what the ask is, if you cannot articulate to your friends what the ask is, if you cannot articulate to your mentor what the ask is, 
you are not ready. You're not ready. And it's okay. It is okay. There's a lot of times where I will actually practice with my mentor or with my friends if there's something that I want to ask for, for or from, a, from somebody I want to sponsor me or just something at work. I will practice with them and just try to vet it out because I want to have that outside perspective about does this make sense? Is this sound? How does it work? And I appreciate it when people are pushing back on me saying, here's where a couple gaps in the way that you're thinking. So then I may say, I'm not ready yet. Let me go and work through a couple of things before I go back and make the ask. Mm. Um, or what I will say is I'm ready based upon what you just asked me. I'm ready. And I'm going in tomorrow and I'm going to make this ask. So, yeah. Um, so one of the things, you know, as black women that we talk about all the time is hair, especially when it comes to black women in corporate. Right. Okay. So when you <laughs> come on today, I was like, Oh, Wait a minute. So let, how do you think about your hair? And you are, you know, you're client facing, you have outward partners that you work with. You are sometimes the most senior person at the table. Um, you yep. are probably judged a lot on your appearance. Yep. So how have you, have you always felt comfortable wearing your hair in its glory? Or have you, has that changed as you navigated your career? It's evolved. It is definitely evolved within my career because when I was younger, who I saw as idols, you know, they looked a certain way. And as I've gotten older, it's more important for me to be comfortable with who I am versus me to make somebody else feel comfortable. Because mm -hmm. if I feel comfortable with who I am, then you should feel comfortable engaging with me. Mm -hmm. And so I have learned that um, my hair is, yes, a reflection of me, but it's not only who I am. Um, it's, it's just one part of me. So you may see my hair like this today. Next week, my may, I may have my little bob on. You know, in the summer, I may have braids on. Um, and I just take it as it comes. But one thing, one trick I will tell you that I have learned is because I am um, customer facing, as you mentioned, and I do have to do a lot of speaking engagements. And they always ask for bios, bios with pictures. So I try not to shock anyone. So I have a picture that is a profile pic of me with my hair like this. I have one with me with my hair with braids. I have one with me with my hair little bob, just so that people aren't shocked. And they're like, well, this isn't the person who I have the bio of and that I should be speaking with. And I will change them out based upon, you know, what I'm doing that day. So how much of that do you think is the freedom that you've earned because you've worked for so long versus corporate adapting to understand that people are more than just their hair. Because I know like one of the things that comes up a lot for more junior folks is like, I can't be my authentic self. Usually that means that they can't wear their hair that they want to, or they can't necessarily talk or engage in the way that they want to. Um, so how much of this freedom, hair freedom, for lack of a better phrase, do you think is a, an extension of you've already built a brand, people know your work, people know and trust you so they don't pay as much mm -hmm. attention versus corporate is now shifting to understand that they can't police people in their hair and there is no professional hair necessarily. I think it's more about corporate. Corporate is shifting. Um, it's corporate is shifting and, and you have to feel comfortable with who you are. I've told people, I've had people interview with me and ask me about, you know, can I come to work with my hair natural? And I'm like, you need to come to work with who you are every single day and what makes you feel good. And if we as a brand or a company doesn't allow you to do that, then we are not the company for you. Mm. Regardless of whether it's a company I work for or a different company that you're interviewing with, if you do not feel comfortable walking into that building or on that Zoom call who you are, then they are not the company for you. But I definitely think it's because corporate America is changing. So here is, I guess like I'll push back just a little bit, right? So 
we hear that corporate says, be your authentic self. But it sometimes feels like it's if your authentic self can check these specific boxes, right? Like we want your attitude to be a certain way. So like when younger people hear, I want you to be your authentic self, they show up with all of, all of everything there. And then there are consequences for that sometimes. So when you think about your like showing up or your staff showing up as their authentic selves, what does that actually mean? And you're absolutely right. Because hair versus the other stuff is something totally different. Um, I try to approach it in terms of make sure you are being respectful of yourself and of other people, um, just like you would your family and your friends. That's the way that I look at it. There are times, um, you know, I've been I've been working for over 20 years in corporate America. Um, and there are times where I've had people comment on my face shape. I've had people comment on, well, you seem like you have an attitude. And I'm like, well, why is that? I'm just having a conversation with you. And I go down the route of asking them, well, why would you feel that way? You know, why, why do you feel that way? Because I'm, I'm just engaging with you or having a conversation with you. And it allows them to check their self. Um, I'm not being defensive, um, but I also I'm, I'm I'm also at the point where I'm just like this is who I am, mm-hmm. and so yes, corporate is changing, but yes, you're absolutely right. I am at there is a little bit of I'm at the point of this is who I am. I'm bringing magic. I'm doing the work that I need to do. So you need to accept me for who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, you just said something that it'll come back to me. It came in my mind and it went right back out. Oh, so here's the question. So you talked about, you know, people maybe misinterpreting what is that you say as, you know, she's angry or, you know, she's whatever the case may be. So have you thought about like how you move through work so that the stereotypes that people try to pin on black women, especially as they become more senior to avoid those stereotypes, or is it, I'm going to show up, I'm going to do good work. And if it comes up, we'll have a conversation about it. So earlier in my career, I was more concerned about how I was showing up, making sure, you know, that you dress the right way, you say the right things and you smile when you say things, et cetera. Um, But as I have gotten more tenured in my career, my perspective is I'm going to show up and we will talk about it if there is a, if if someone has a concern, Mm. because I, I will respect, I respect the person who wants to have the conversation with me versus the one who wants to talk about it behind my back. Um, But I've also seen instances where, um, I've seen other individuals because, um, because of where I sit, where people have accused other individuals of having, um, an attitude in the way they talk or, you know, being angry and things of that nature. And I've challenged them and said, well, why would you think that about person X, Y, and Z? Because Mm -hmm. here's an example of where this man acts the same way and you have no issue with it. So Mm -hmm. what, what in your mind is thinking that there is something different? And I feel like it's my role to do that. And it's mm-hmm. my opportunity to challenge because I have that I have that seat at the table. But I also am recognizing, and I and I did not realize this um, until probably like the last year, how many people are watching me, and I feel as though if I don't show up in my authentic self, then I'm not I'm I'm not being um, true to them, mm-hmm. not only to myself but true to them. Mm-hmm. Because they're watching me and then observing and then judging how they will behave. And when I say that, I'm specifically speaking about young African-American women. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about this, this table, um, because we hear the phrase a seat at the table all the time. Um, so when you think about you as a Black woman with a seat at the table, mm-hmm. 
Do you feel like there is a responsibility that comes with that? And if so, what is it? So a responsibility to the table, but also a responsibility to the young Black women who you know are watching you. Um, have you thought about like what that responsibility looks like? I have. Um, and again, um, I have because it's been put in my face in terms of a couple of things. Um, because of my current job, I have the responsibility of managing over a $30 million budget as it relates to various initiatives that we do. And one of them is called the McDonald's All-American Basketball Game. And I remember a couple of years ago when I went and did a site visit at a hotel and I was walking around in my jeans, you know, with the team looking at where we were going to put things, how it was going to be set up. And afterwards, um, one of the hotel people working at the hotel came up to me and gave me a little private note. And I was like, what is this? And I opened it up and it said, I've never seen a black woman in your position who is here leading this type of group. I'm mm. thank you for letting me see this. And I'm proud. And that's when it really hit me about when how we show up and having a seat at the table and what we do with it. And I wasn't thinking anything. I was just like, I'm doing my job. But that's when it really hit me that. Um, we have to be more responsible in terms of the way that we show up and we have to be more responsible when we do have a seat at the table. So then in having a seat at the table, I do think that I have a responsibility. Um, I have a responsibility for um, the employees um, who are around me and specifically um, I have a responsibility to make sure I'm representing myself. I have a responsibility that if there is anything of concern to speak up, especially if it relates to people of color and African-American and African-American women. Um, um, but I also have a responsibility to them in terms of making sure that when they see me, they understand that I am not just a corporate figure here. I cry, I bleed, sometimes I get angry, et cetera. And, and just making sure that I can show up in an authentic way. And with that, do you think that the people who are on like, this is probably not the best way to frame this, but this is what I have in the moment, but the people who benefit from your responsibility at the seat, do we have a responsibility to the people in the seat, right? So there are things that we can do sometimes that make your responsibility in that seat a little bit harder. And we don't necessarily think about what the people in the seat are carrying. All we know is that y'all have some access and we expect something in return. But do you feel like, people who are not in the seat have a responsibility to the people in the seat? And if so, how can we better support people who are, you know, paving the way and making sure that they are using their voice to help the people who are coming after them? Okay. You are really getting to the mud of things. And I love that. You were like, I do not hold back. We just don't go right at it. Um, <laughs> so yes, because in any relationship that you have, it is not one way. It is two way in terms of being the relationship. And so that's the way I look at it. Um, there is a responsibility that, that, that I have to individuals and that as individuals are asking me to support them or to make sure that, um, that they are looked after, I won't put it that way. Um, there's a responsibility that they have too. And I take it back to something that um, a gentleman named Greg Watson, African-American man, um, who I used to work for. And he would always tell me, do your job. And he said, that's the only expectation I have of you is to do your job. Because if you do your job, it makes my job easier, regardless of whether I am in a room with you supporting you, behind closed doors supporting you, on the side supporting you. It makes my job easier if you just do your job. And that's all I ever ask people to do. Do your job. Nothing else. I'm going to put on there, do your job well. Yes. 
do it, yep. do it well. Don't just go in and yep. check the boxes because like we said earlier, the people who are the easiest to help are the ones who get help. And so doing the bare minimum is not, that's not enough, at least in my opinion, that, that there's just too many other people out here who are trying to do things professionally, that if you're doing the bare minimum, you can't stand out. And it's not yep. because people don't care about you, is that you're making it really hard to advocate for you when you're not present. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, absolutely right. When we first started, I was telling you, I was shocked that you've been at McDonald's for almost 18 years. Like that is unheard of to me. Um, so how have you made, because the, the thing that they say about my generation, we're there for two and a half years, we get bored. We always want, you know, things to, you know, to change consistently and all that. And I think that that's some people's human nature, right? I don't think it's because mm-hmm. we're millennials. And so how have you managed to keep your career interesting, right, for being with the same company for as long as you have. Mm-hmm. I was shocked too. Cause when I looked up, <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, I just hit my 18th anniversary in February. I was like, what is going on? Um, but I would say, and I didn't come into McDonald's thinking that I would be here for 18 years. Like everybody else, I was like, I'll be there two years, five years max, and I'll go on and do different things. But what McDonald's allowed me to do was that every two years I moved to a different job. And it allowed me to, the jobs that I moved to wasn't just like, okay, now we need you to go and work on creative for a color box. Now we need you to go work on creative for X, Y, and Z. It was, here are challenges that we have in the business and you get the opportunity to work on them and to lead them and to guide them and to figure it out. And it, I've seen, and so that's, that's helped with my, keep my curiosity. And as I mentioned, I like to be innovative. I like to, you know, most people laugh and they're like, we can't just ask you how to move a piece of paper. You're like, well, let's reframe that ask. And we should be thinking about a different way of, you know, and they're like, that's the way I am. And McDonald's has allowed me to express that, but not just expressing it because it's my own personal curiosity. They've allowed me to express it in ways that made an impact on the business. And Mm. that's why I've been here for 18 years. It is about my ability um, to work on projects that have changed the way people engage with McDonald's. And I can sit back and say, I did that. Mm-hmm. Like when we started doing Nick Delivery, which is a partnership with Uber Eats, and I could hear people, my friends, because I, I don't really talk about everything I do with my family and friends. They know I work for McDonald's and they know I work in marketing, but I don't talk about every single thing. But when I can hear them start to talk about, oh, you know, now we can get McDonald's if we just go and order it on this app. That's kind of cool. And I was like, I did that. But I don't say that to them. I'm like, I did that. Or when we talk about a new chicken sandwich that we've developed that's out in the marketplace. And I know that I worked with a culinary team to actually go behind the scenes with the food scientists to understand from, you know, the chickens that were growing all the way through up to the commercialization of that product. Yeah. That is allowing me to make an impact on the system and the impact with customers. And it's also allowing me to make an impact in the community in which I grew up in mm. because there's content that I've been able to work on that is targeted to African-Americans and not just saying, hey, African-Americans, we want your business, but African-Americans, we hear you and we feel you when George Floyd was murdered. And mm. I was a person who had the opportunity to work and lead that content. Mm. And, I, and, and that's why I've been here for 18 years. Hmm. Do you know, I actually have an, I did that jar, like on the jar, it says I did that. And I have post-its when I do things that are, you know, remarkable or things that I'm extremely proud of, I would put it on the post-it with a date. And then if whenever I'm, you know, and this will lead into the next question, whenever I'm, you know, having some doubt about something or feeling a bit of imposter syndrome, 
I go back to the, I did that jar. And I, if I, I don't know if it, oh, hold on. I'll just one second. I love that idea. So literally it's right here. It says, I did that. And then these are all of the things that I've done. So when I'm feeling a little insecure or sad, I will go to the jar and pull something out and like remind myself about myself because sometimes, right, depending on what the new challenges that you're taking on, it can be overwhelming. And so reminding, having already a built-in system to remind myself that like, yo, I've I've been that girl. Like I've done some things, right? That has helped a ton. And so as you think about, you know, like the young person at the hotel who said, you know, I've never seen anyone like this. Oftentimes, there are times where you are the first, the only um, at the table. Do you ever feel imposter syndrome? And if you do, um, how have you learned to work through it? Obviously, you work through it because yep. you aren't stuck and you've moved, you know, professionally. But how do you think about that? Um, everybody has imposter syndrome, regardless of whether they want to admit it or not. It's just the degree to which you have it. I will tell you that I have had a lot of great mentors around me, Black women that I have watched um, move mountains, you know, at McDonald's, at other companies, and they have been fabulous. And I'm still mentor, I'm still friends and associates with these individuals, even though they may not be, you know, here at the company that I'm at right now. And when I am feeling that imposter syndrome, number one, I think about them, but then number two, I pick up the phone and I call them. And I say, I know that you have been in this situation. Here's what I'm feeling. How, what, how am I, am I looking at this wrong? Which I'd be thinking differently. And they will say, girl, let's have a Cosmo. Let's have a drink. Let's just sit down and talk and let me help you through this. Mm-hmm. That's how I look at it. Um, I also will do something that has nothing to do with work. And this may not be the way that everybody can, can um, deal with it. But when I'm having imposter syndrome, I try to remember whose daughter I am. And I will, my mom lives in Michigan. I will actually go to Michigan for a weekend and just spend time with her. It has nothing to do with work. And it allows me to um, regain and refresh, but to see through her eyes, the woman that she created in herself, but then and also me. And that also helps me to get through the imposter syndrome. But if you need someone immediately, I pick up the call to my friends and I, I pick up the phone, excuse me, and call my friends. And I call the people who've been mentors for me for years and just try to work through it in that way. Um, and you talk, you know, a little bit about your friends. So how have you um, cultivated maybe a network over the, the course of your career? So I know that there are some folks who maybe have not, may not have known that networks were important and then they needed one. And all of a sudden there's panic, right? Because I don't have those types of mentors and I don't have those types of friends. And, and there's a sense of like, I think lack that sets in. And so how have you start, how have you thought about cultivating and growing a network um, that can support you, you know, as you navigate different career situations? Yeah. And I, again, I think it's about building relationships because it's not, I don't look at them in terms of just how can you help support me? I look at it in terms of we are building a relationship and how can I help support you? Um, Regardless of whether it's just lending an ear to bounce an idea off of to make things stronger. So I have individuals that I do this with from when I was an undergrad um, at Purdue, from people that I do this with from when I was in graduate school. Um, there's a gentleman named Jeff Bowman who owns his own company. We have known each other for years. We bounce ideas off of each other all the time. And I was like, how do I know him? And I was like, I know you because when we were looking at graduate schools, we used to all go on the same track of looking at graduate schools. And that's where I met you. And so it's about building those relationships. Um, but then also just, um, being able to pick up the phone and say, Hey, I need help. I'm something's, you know, I'm trying to work through something. 
here, where's a fresh way of me looking at this? Mm. Um, but then also being available when they want to pick up the phone and make that call. Um, so you've managed teams for a long time. Um, are there, and you've managed diverse teams for a long time. So you've gotten to see how different people navigate their professional lives. Are there things that you see us like young black women? Granted, I'm not a young black woman. I am a woman of a certain age. Yes, you are. I am a woman of a certain (laughs) age um, that you're seeing young black folks making, whether it's unconsciously or consciously that their peers are not making that could be impacting them in ways that they do not know. So, and it's, and I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but when I first started working, we used to just put our heads down and say, if we just do the job, people will recognize us and they will, um, you know, pick us, they'll choose, tap us on our head and choose us. And, and what you see nowadays is that that's not necessarily true. It, it, it's not true at all. I was you gonna say, was, put your head down true? and work. Was it ever? Yeah, true? That's, it, it, it was. It wasn't. It wasn't. But it was this perception of, you know, put your head down and just grind it out and everything will be okay. What I'm seeing today is that there, there is a generation of people who have who know that that's not true. And they're like, we just gonna go talk to whomever we want, whenever we want, etc. But for some reason, I'm seeing that African-American women are not making the change as fast. Mm. They're still doing the, I'm just going to put my head down and grind it out and someone will recognize me. And if there was one piece of advice I could give to them is number one, lift your head up, walk on, you know, I'm in a building right now, walk around the building, see who's who, talk to different people so that you can understand different experiences and don't only rely on the African-Americans you see to help you. We will be there to help you. We will have your back to bounce ideas off of. We will pull you aside and say, hey, since you got some you know, tissue on your shoe, you might want to clean that up. We'll do all of that. But you also need to broaden it so that there are other people who are there to help you as well. And that's the one thing that I would impress upon um, young African-American women today is that they, they need to expand who they are reaching out to and getting exposure to. So this is the last question before our lightning round was a two-parter. So the first question, would you describe yourself as an ambitious person? Yes, I am definitely ambitious. What I think throws people off, however, is that I'm an introvert. And so most people are think that I'm very quiet when I'm not. I'm silent but deadly. <laughs> um, and so, yes, I am, I'm definitely ambitious. So how do you navigate being extremely ambitious and an extremely ambitious person without letting career swallow up your life, right? Where it becomes that work is the thing that your world revolves around. Because, you know, as someone who's very ambitious, also uh, an admitted workaholic, I'm working on it. You know, work is top three all the time. And sometimes it's one or two. And I know that that's probably not sustainable. So how do you think about that, not balancing, but navigating ambition and the fact that like there's a whole other life to live. I have had to learn how to um, to do that. And I've had friends who've told me work is not your life. You need to think about where you want to be in the next five to 10 years. And what does that look like outside of work? And so I've had to force myself into those situations to learn how to um, to be ambitious, but to, but to look at other things. Um, And it goes to what inspires me. I love traveling and seeing other cultures and learning from them. So I put that as part of one of my priorities every year that I want to do. 
I love seeing my family and my nieces and nephews grow. So I try to write that as a priority. When I sit down and I make out my goals for the year, um, and my goals don't start in January because I was born in June. So my goals actually start in June. Um, I don't start with it from a professional business perspective. I start with it from a personal perspective about at the end of the year, what do I want to, what do I want to celebrate the next year? You yeah. know, um, and say, I did, you know, I did that. Or what do I, what do I want to put on? You know, how I, especially during New Year's, how everybody does those nine tiles of here's all the things I did that were fabulous. I'm like, what do I want my nine tiles to represent? Because I don't want it to represent a cubicle. I don't want it to represent uh, me being on a conference call. What is it that I want it to represent? And I try to think of goals about that. And that helps me to balance the work ambition with my also personal ambition of where I want to be in my life. Hmm. All right. So we're going to go to the lightning round. Don't overthink it. It's literally the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, First question, what's one piece of career advice you wish you had gotten earlier in your career? that being an introvert is okay. Mm. What's a career lesson that took you the longest to learn, but has had the most significant impact on your career? Speak up and show them who you are. Ooh, what, what was the first part of it? I said, speak up and show them who you are. And um, what is a book that you could read over and over again? I haven't been reading many books lately, but it's um, a book that I'm probably curating on my own. And it's that um, I have asked my mom, instead of giving me a gift for Christmas or for my birthday to write a letter. So she started Mm -hmm. off a couple of years ago and wrote a blessing for my house. And then every year she writes a letter to me and I just use that. And so it's it's something that I'm putting together on my own, but I could read that all the time. Oh my God. I love that. So I've been asking my mom to, cause I'm Liberian to just, instead of giving me gifts, just like write out a recipe. And she yep. told me when I get serious, I can ask for something. Africans don't cook with recipes. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I still have not gotten a single recipe. I've been asking for at least a decade. She was like, be serious watching. We don't use recipes. <laughs> um, if Forrest was doing a cover story on your career, what would the headline be? Um, they would say she, is, she was the voice that changed the room at McDonald's. Ooh, I love that. Um, and the last question, we all know that decisions about your career are going to be made when you are not in the room. So what do you hope people are saying about you when you are not in the room? Um, I hope that they're saying that Elizabeth Ann Campbell has high integrity, that she is um, a person who is going to move your business forward and make your business better. Um, and that she is a joy to be around. And the reason I say joy to be around, because I do have really good jokes. And once you know that, you'll be like, oh yeah, we want to be around her. No, but high integrity and can, and can make an impact to the business. I love that. And with that, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you. I appreciate this opportunity. It was great chatting with you. When we started this episode, I told you that gems would be dropped and that you should be ready. And I would say that Elizabeth came through with all the gems. Um, But you all know that I like to end every episode with three things that I took away from the conversation. And the first one, this one made my heart smile um, because as she talked about her authentic self and some of the, the freedoms that she has had in her career, she talks about how tenure is what allowed her to kind of move differently um, in corporate America. And I think the message now is that people should just come into organizations and uh, and they can do and be whatever they want. And while I think that that is aspirational, I think the honest uh, the honest thing with this is that like sometimes it takes 
proving yourself to get the freedoms that you should have from the beginning. But I think being honest about that as a senior professional will help the next generation of leaders as they try to navigate some of the unwritten rules of corporate America. The second thing that I that I loved is talking about imposter syndrome, right? And um, saying she thinks that everyone has imposter syndrome. It's just to the matter of the degree that you have it. And then having some ways to to be able to deal with that and reminding herself of whose daughter she is, right? And you know, connecting with her mom and having, you know, people in her life who ground her, who remind her um, of who she is and whose she is and having that help her navigate through. So if you do not have a community, you know, that Choose the Ladder community is absolutely here for you. But being intentional that you have reminders in your life of whose you are and all of the great things that you've accomplished. You can also get the success bank. I call it the I did that jar on choosealadder.com. Um, and then I think the thing that made my heart smile the biggest was when she talked about the young person who had never seen a black person um, in the role that she was in and how she is a walking personification of what black excellence is. Um, I think that is the goal for a lot of us as we do work, as we navigate these spaces with all the different pro uh, pro pressures that we face is that we want to be an example of what is possible for other young black women, young black people, young people in in the workspace. And, and I, I'm just so proud that there are people like Elizabeth who take that, you know, that seriously and who are intentional about making sure that they, they are a vision that someone can see of what is possible for them. You all know that I like to keep the conversation going. So if you want to connect, you can connect with me personally on Instagram at I see you watching or on LinkedIn. And if you want tons and tons of career advice, make sure you connect with I choose the ladder on Instagram at I choose the ladder. And until next time, thank you for listening.